Good morning, Cornerstone Bible Church. It is a tremendous blessing to be with you all this morning. I will try not to cry too many times. Um, I'm very, very thankful uh, for the hospitality of this church and hosting us. It's an incredible blessing how generous they have been, and we are very, very grateful. Um, we do miss you here at home. We thank you for joining with us this morning. I'll probably be looking at the camera less because there's lots of people here, but we haven't forgotten, forgotten about you. We are just uh, very thankful for all of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. Um, we are reminded by that great blessing in being with one another. Uh, it's incredible to think if we're so thankful to be one another, what great joy we'll have when we will uh, get to be with our Lord and, uh, and together around his throne forever. So praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, not surprising, we're going to be in the book of James this morning. I am going to try for a shorter message since we've got so many of our young people around, but uh, I trust by God's grace it'll still be good for our souls. When I was thinking about the topic of testing and temptation that we've been going through in the book of James, I, I, I remembered hearing about this trending topic on social media where parents secretly record a kid trying to wait to eat a marshmallow. And I don't know if you guys have seen that recently on social media or heard about this. Well, it turns out this is not a new trend. Uh, that the, the most watched video was from like 2009. And it was still an entertaining video. So I'm about actually 10 years behind uh, social media trends. But I don't know if you guys have seen one of these videos where, where parents or someone records uh, a, a child, and, 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 and I'll explain it in, in just a minute. But I was even more surprised to find that this is coming from a kind of a scientific experiment from the 1960s. And uh, um, the premise is simple. A child is given a marshmallow. Before being left in a room alone, though, the child is told that, that they are, are welcome to eat that marshmallow. Or if they choose to wait 10 minutes, if they still have the marshmallow, they'll be given another marshmallow. So then they would have two and they could eat both. Well, what happens on these videos, and you can search for, 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 for marshmallow tests, hopefully I'm not ruining this if you plan on doing it with your child at some point. Uh, what happens is really funny, because what you see is a lot of children who know if they wait a little bit longer, they're going to get a marshmallow, get a second one. And so they start kind of sniffing it, and, and then some of them put it in their mouth and kind of like take it back out, and they might take a little nibble of it. And so they really try to manage the temptation of this test. Really, they're, they're, they're very funny videos. Such testing is humorous. It's fascinating watching how children respond. Now, because there are no consequences here, they're not being threatened with a, a consequence or discipline, they're, they're told they can eat that one marshmallow. Because of that, there's no consequences. The goodness of the test giver doesn't come into question, right? It's not like, oh, you touch a marshmallow, you're going to get spanking. No, it's nothing like that. But you could imagine a different response if the children were told not to eat the marshmallow and then given consequences if they did. It would be a very different 
kind of a disturbing video, right? If the test giver is, is watching in another room, kind of waiting, ready to, ready to enter in discipline, the moment that child eats the marshmallow, all of a sudden it's kind of got a disturbingness to the scene. What, what's going on here? How would you feel about that test giver? Today is the first time so many saints of Cornerstone Bible Church have been able to come together in six months. And that's because of the health concerns, as you all know, because of COVID-19, balancing various government restrictions. For many of you, these last six months have been hard. They've been hard emotionally. They've been hard financially. They've been hard morally. And encompassing all of that. They've been hard spiritually. We know, we are certain that God has been sovereign over these trials. We also know that God has been testing each of us. The first chapter of James has taught us that God is producing endurance and subsequently maturity in us. We saw in James 1.12 that a crown of life is waiting those who persevere through trial. For those who, who pass the lifelong test that God is administering. Again, that is not the test by which we become saved. That is only through faith in Jesus Christ. But he does demonstrate the, the, the reality of our faith as we go through this test. Last week we saw that God's purposes in our testing are pure. God is not tempted by evil, and He does not tempt any of us. He's not outside the room waiting for us to fail. He's not trying to get us to sin with some kind of tasty marshmallow designed for our lives. We learned last week that our sin comes from within. God is testing you. God is testing us. So how do you feel about God when He is testing you? How do you feel about God? Do you question God's goodness as you face trials? See, if we are going to endure the testing we are going through, and I know it's very different for each one of us. Some of you are going through things I can't even imagine. Some of you have gone through things I can't even imagine. If we are going to endure through God's testing, we must be convinced of God's goodness. We must be convinced of God's goodness. We must be certain that God, and we can't imagine Him metaphorically on the other side of that video camera, watching us going through a marshmallow test of our lives. We must be certain that God is good. That God is good in His designing and overseeing, excuse me, that's new, that God is good in overseeing, you know it's kind of crazy, is outside we still have less pests than we used to have inside, that God is good overseeing and designing the tests that we are going through. When we face trials, we will be faced with a choice. When you face trials, you will be faced with a choice. Do you believe God is good? In James 1, verses 16 through 18, that's the passage we'll be looking at this morning. James argues that God is unquestionably good. I'm going to read James 1, verses 12 through 18 now. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial... 
For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And here's today's passage. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This morning, we're going to refresh our faith. And that's what I'm hoping by God's grace. We're going to refresh our faith with five aspects of God's goodness from James 1, 16 to 18, so that you persevere when you face trials. We're going to refresh our faith with five aspects of God's goodness so that when you face trials, you're, you're, you, you persevere, so that your endurance is strengthened. And as we face these ongoing trials, so many unknowns, so much caution, so many concerns... So much frustration. We will endure by God's grace. The first aspect is the truth of God's goodness. The truth of God's goodness. And we see that in, in verse 16. James transitions from talking about temptation, the source of temptation, to verse 16. And he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James' warning is, is warm. It's full of warmth towards his family in Christ. Maybe he is imagining you all. The way I feel about you, you are my beloved brethren. It was so sweet to see our brother Clifton, first time getting to see the church body that we called him to come and serve the youth of. This is the first time he got to see us all. He's part of our beloved, but we, we are beloved brethren. And so, to his beloved brethren, James commands, don't allow yourselves to be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be led astray and don't wander from the truth. And the idea here is don't you let yourself wander from the truth. And we have to wonder here, what deceit does James have in mind? What kind of deceit is he warning against? I think he forecasts that as we get to verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. See, James was worried that they would deceive themselves into thinking that God gives evil. You know, we know in verse 13, we learn that God is not tempted by evil, and neither does he tempt anyone to do evil. That, that evil has no allure for God, but is he the giver of evil is the question that James talks about next. We learned last week that the source of temptation is within but it is uncomfortable, and maybe you felt some of this last week, to realize that we have no one to blame for our sin except ourselves. We don't want to take responsibility for being our own worst enemy. When looking in the mirror, if, if we are unwilling to run to God for forgiveness and help, and sometimes in our pride, we don't do that. We don't run to Him. So we're kind of forced to like, well, if God isn't tempting us, well, what am I going to do? And we have to kind of scamper for an excuse. And James is warning them against doing that in your eagerness to hide from yourself. We're in danger of deceiving ourselves. 
We have been told that God is not enticing us. We know that from James 1.13. But maybe there's some kind of general deficiency in God's goodness. Yes, he doesn't delight in evil, but, but is he totally good? Is what I'm experiencing from him, is these last very strange six months, is this part of God's goodness? It's almost as if we are in a building that's on fire. Not necessarily right now. But who James is talking to, that they're in a building on fire. And as we're in this building on fire, we know that we were the one playing with matches. We smell our hands and it smells like gasoline. Yet we're not willing to say, actually, I was the one who chose to start the fire. All all this, this, this mess I'm in, this is mine. So we criticize. We criticize the architect of the building. We criticize the fact that the landlord rented us a room. We criticize that there's a manufacturer out there of matches. We criticize the boss who gave us the day off that we used to try to burn up our building. We shake our fists wildly and say, I'm not the problem. God's the problem. God must not be good. God's morally deficient. There's there's something wrong with God. And we know that's not true by God's grace. Beloved brothers, when we face trials and testing, when our desires lead to our sin, we must not deceive ourselves. We must not excuse our disobedience by attacking God's character. God is good in testing us. God does not tempt us, but God is good in testing us. And that's the confidence we have to have with whatever trials we're going through. God is good in testing us. We must not deceive ourselves. So if we're going to have this this confidence in God's goodness that allows us to endure trials, we must first remember the truth of God's goodness. We also, the second aspect, we have to remember the generosity of God's goodness. We have to remember the generosity of God's goodness. And again, we've already read the beginning of verse 17. We'll look at that now. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. These two parallel phrases, every good thing given and every perfect gift, it it is reduplicated, that same basic idea to emphasize that every good thing in your life is given by God. On our most idyllic days, the most perfect days, our best days ever. We don't doubt that truth as our heart overflows with the warm fuzzies of thankfulness. As we savor that last bite of our favorite dessert, as we're refreshed by a cool breeze, as we sip that perfect cup of coffee, as we hear children laughing peaceably in the background, as we catch a whiff of flowers in the garden, as we're with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we say, what a good God, right? And rightly so. Our best days ever scream out to us, God is good. And as good as those physical blessings are, how much time could we spend counting up all of our spiritual blessings? We know that God's goodness surpasses our physical blessings. We know that that every good gift and that every perfect gift includes spiritual blessings, that he chose us to be in Christ Jesus before the world began. That we were blessed to hear the good news of the gospel when so many billions still haven't. That God has graced us with regeneration of his spirit in our hearts so that we responded with faith to the gospel. 
That He has given us that gift of repentance and faith. That we have union with Christ in His death and resurrection. That we have the empowering and the sealing of God's Spirit. That we have the adoption of God's children. That we have the forgiveness of our sins. That we have the redemption from slavery to sin. That we have a new capacity for obedience. That we have certainty of His love toward us. And as we focus on such blessings, our hearts burst. God is good. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. And we want to shout, hallelujah, praise to Yahweh. But I do think we have to ask ourselves, does James only intend here that which we instinctively identify as good and perfect? Does he only intend the perfect apple? Or does he intend an apple with a bruise on it? Is that a good thing given? Is that a perfect gift? Does, does he intend the apple that has a worm in it that we didn't know about? Does he intend only the perfect vacation day? Or the other days, the flat tire days and the throwing up children days and the bounced check days? Is it only, does it have to be 100% perfect? What are these good things given in these perfect gifts? See, as we talk about that, the simplicity of defining a good and perfect gift becomes a little less clear. Why would James say every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above in a sense if that's a fact we all know so well? If we're just quickly ready to say, oh, well, that's good. I'm like, this perfect apple is from God, but this bruised one kind of ruined by the fall, I'm not so sure about See, I think that James is, he's definitely highlighting the direction that our good gifts come from, right? It, 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 it's very clear. They come from above. They're not from within. But I think that James is pushing us further than that. I want us to stretch our minds a, a little bit, but the kids know about this. In Genesis 2.9, it tells how God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. That God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. We've got to think about that for a minute. The tree was part of the creation, which God said was very good. In Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. A tree for testing was part of God's perfect creation. A tree for testing was part of God's perfect creation. There was an opportunity there that God made in his perfect design for Adam and Eve to trust God's goodness and to demonstrate their faithfulness. Testing is part of God's goodness. Trials are a part of God's goodness. See, God's goodness includes, and I know that some of you have gone through immense suffering, he does not delight in evil. He's not tempted by evil, but God's goodness includes both the apple and the worm, both the wedding day and the rain, both the car and the accident, both the body and the cancer. God is generous, saints. 
God's good will is directed toward his people without restraint. This is what we're talking about, the generosity of God's goodness. His reign upon them is goodness, even if that reign comes with storm and storms with lightning and storms with thunder and storms with darkness. Those storms are still rain clouds. From God's same goodness comes both riches and poverty. From his same goodness comes sickness and health. The test of God's goodness is not our appraisal, is this good, but it is God's own goodness. It is God's character. So we must not deceive ourselves thinking that God is stingy. God doesn't hold back goodness from his saints. In, the, in his providence in your life, God has given you all the goodness that his goodness can give you. He's not holding some back. He doesn't have a secret reserve of goodness for when you are extra good or when you extra need it. God's goodness is generously outpoured toward you in your life this day in the very best way. And do you know how I know that? You are in Christ Jesus. If you have been united with him through faith, you are in Christ Jesus and his goodness is outpoured toward you. This is the kind of confidence in God's goodness that we need to endure through trials. There's the truth of God's goodness. There's the generosity of God's goodness. And the third aspect is the strength of God's goodness. God's goodness is strong. It is unfettered. It is unhindered. It is unstoppable. Look at the second half or the middle of verse 17. James describes God's gifts as coming from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God is described as the father of lights to remind us of God's creation of, of, of space and the sun and the moon and the stars and planets. In Genesis 1 verses 14 to 19 describes God's act in, in, in creation. Some of you kids have probably memorized this. It's not going to be new to many of you. I'm going to read it. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, which is incredible. The universe out there is for earth. It's some amazing way. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light, the moon, to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. God spoke and everything came into existence. And if you know how far away those stars are, the fact that we can see them on earth, the fact that any star showed up on earth on that fourth day is a testimony to God's power. There was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. With a simple phrase, and it is a simple phrase, it was, it was a Jewish phrase, the father of lights, James encapsulates in just one phrase, the father of lights, the strength of God's goodness. God spoke and the universe was made to give man light in seasons. I wish we could go to a mountain at night so that we could see the vastness of our galaxy. I wish this were a planetarium, planetarium, so that we could see the vastness. 
we are part of the galaxy that takes, if you start a flashlight at one end, provided it could get all the way across, it would take two million years to get to the other end of our galaxy. That's how big it is for light. The speed of light. Recent estimates that there are 100 billion galaxies, although everyone seems to think that there's far more. 100 billion galaxies. The whole universe was created by God's speech. It is upheld by His power, and it demonstrates His wisdom. The earth is 93 million miles from the sun, only a few million miles in either direction, and life would be destroyed on earth. Without a tilt to the earth's axis, there would be no seasons. God has ordained the universe for our good. Every bit of goodness we experience on earth is tied to God's creative and, and sustaining work of the cosmos. The universe began in the mind and in the power of God. The Father of lights made a universe with galaxies full of stars and planets, and that is the God who gives you every good gift and every perfect gift. Beloved brothers, sisters, the Father of lights, this is the strength of God's goodness. This is the strength of His goodness. He has the ability to, ev to accomplish every attention He has for you. Every intention He has for your lives. There's no hindrance to the one who makes 100 billion galaxies. We can't even begin to think about that. No one can stop God's hands. Nothing happens in the farthest galaxy if there is an end to them. And we, we know there is because only God is infinite. Nothing happens without his knowledge. Nothing happens apart from his power. Nothing happens separate from his wisdom. The universe is proof that God's goodness is completely unhindered in your life. He has the strength to give you every good and every perfect gift. And no one will hold him back and no one will force his hand. That is the power of God working goodness in your life. The Father of lights. And this is the kind of confidence we need to have in goodness in the midst of our trials now. Whatever, whatever kind of havoc COVID-19 is still creating in your life, in your jobs, in your family. We need this confidence that comes from God's goodness. The truth of God's goodness, that generosity of God's goodness, the strength of God's goodness, and the constancy of God's goodness. We need to know the constancy of God's goodness. We see that at the end of verse 17. James continues, Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. God's goodness is more constant than His creation. The seasons change, but God's goodness does not. James first exalts God with this little phrase, the Father of lights, the Father who made the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars. But then... James rejoices about how superior God is to his creation. The universe is always changing, but God has never changed. 
The earth is darkened by shadows. Day becomes night. The moon waxes and wanes. Eclipses occasionally happen. From our vantage point here on earth, the constellations move. The most stable objects in the universe are constantly undergoing change, but not God. But not God. God doesn't change. His goodness is immovable. God doesn't give his children good gifts one day and the next evil. We got to mix it up a little bit. It's not bread one day and scorpions the next, as Jesus says. God is not capricious or fickle like the gods of mythology. God's goodness is more constant than the sun's beams. God's goodness knows no variation or shifting shadow. See, God doesn't have two faucets. And in in some of your homes, maybe you have two faucets. One for goodness and one for evil. Right? One for high, one for good. He doesn't have a good faucet and an evil faucet. And he's not trying to get the temperature just right in your life. Uh, They've had too much goodness. Let's go ahead and mix in some, some evil in there. If you are in Christ Jesus, God's goodness is a fire hydrant directed toward you to accomplish his purpose in your life. God's goodness doesn't have a valve. He doesn't kind of like let out a trickle of goodness, right? He kind of takes the sledgehammer of his goodness and he knocks off that faucet and it just just gushes goodness towards us. It gushes goodness towards us in all of its complexity, a goodness that brings trials to us, a goodness that allows pain in our life, a goodness that allows evil to happen to us. it It is incomprehensible, but we know his goodness is unfettered. You get that full force of that goodness if you are in Christ Jesus, even if you don't enjoy all of that goodness. Your enjoyment of that goodness may vary. Your your, your ability to rejoice in His goodness will come and go. Your endurance, even of goodness, will be tested. Your desire, your lust in you will be to, to, to grumble and to complain and to be like Israel in the wilderness. But God's goodness does not change because our God is a good Father. I think it's good to think about Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 11. And I'll mention a couple of these verses. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. It's His goodness to us. I don't mean just consequences. The hard training we go through. The trials. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. Verse 10. For they disciplined us, like my earthly fathers, for a short time it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. God is producing fruit in your life through his discipline. It is, it is not easy. It's not enjoyable. We sorrow even at his goodness. And, and that's in common to think about, but every good and perfect gift comes from above. He doesn't vary. Yes, it's easy to rejoice in his, you know, the obvious goodness, but we also rejoice in the hard goodness, in the testing goodness, in the trying goodness. 
God's testing is a good gift and it produces endurance in us. God is not Jekyll and Hyde. God is not one minute for you and the next minute against you. God is not like a villain from a comic book who flips a coin to arbitrarily see if he will do good for you or evil. Which side of the coin are you going to fall on? You who are in Christ Jesus... You who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you who have seen that you are the source of your temptation, you who have seen that your choices, your lusts are going to lead to your death, you who have fled to refuge in Christ and put all of your hope in Jesus Christ, you who are in Christ Jesus have nothing but God's goodness. You are the uh, perpetual recipient of God's goodness. God's goodness is constant. It is consistent. It does not fluctuate like an overworked power grid. God's goodness does not run out of power. It's on 24-7 for eternity to all of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we need to believe if we are going to go through trials. If we are going to endure trials, we have to believe that there is no variation or shifting shadow in God's goodness. If we're going to endure trials, we need to have confidence in the truth of God's goodness, in that generosity of God's goodness, in the strength of God's goodness, that the one who makes the universe can do whatever he wants on earth, in the constancy of God's goodness, and last, in the certainty of God's goodness. And all of you kids, you've done fantastic. We need to have confidence in the certainty of God's goodness. Verse 18, uh, here James just says, I'm going to show you how good God is. I'm going to show you how good God is. It is displayed in our new birth as God wills. James 1.18 says, in the exercise of his will, and it's one word there, in his willing, in his desiring, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. The same God who created only good, the same God who does only good, the same God who out of, out of his unquestionably good will desired to give birth to his children in Jesus Christ so that we would have new birth in him. And unlike humans whose sinful desires give birth to sin and to ultimately death, and James uses that same word birth here, he's making a contrast. We humans, we give birth to sin and death. That's not like God. God gives birth to new creatures, to new creations, to saints, to new creatures in Christ Jesus. That is the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness. He creates new life in those who turn to him in repentance. God creates new life in those who were incapable of saving themselves. Just as much as a child is incapable of conceiving themselves, we are incapable of saving ourselves. We were even more so. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope. We were without God in this world. We were enemies of God. But God brings us to new life through the word of truth, the gospel. Isn't that incredible grace of God's goodness that we are those who have heard that word of truth and that we have believed it? And children... 
those of you who are not yet saved, I plead with you, you have heard the word of truth. Put all of your hope in Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Say, I want to be the eternal recipient of God's goodness. All that comes out of me is sin and death. That is all that I deserve. But I want this goodness of God forever. Put all of your hope in him and cast yourself on him who is willing to save. God, call out to God and say, God, I want this new life. God's good purpose in bringing us, to, bringing us forth was that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And first fruits in the Old Testament were the first, uh, were, were the first produce from a harvest. And that produce was completely devoted to God. It was done in faith. It was done in faith, confident that we're going to give this first fruit to God, and we're confident that, that the more produce is going to come, because I just went and I picked my first tomato, my first cucumber, and I've got this great big bundle of produce here, and I'm giving it to God, knowing that he's going to bring in more. And we, as those who have been given new life in Christ Jesus, we are first fruits. We are first fruits. We are given by God to himself. We are given by God to his son. We are the first fruits of this new creation that we would forever be God's people, forever enjoying his goodness. And part of that joy of being first fruits is that there is more to come. That what God is doing in our lives, the way that he is making appropriate and fit for heaven, and the fact that we love him, is just the beginning of what he's going to accomplish throughout all of creation. Creation. This whole thing is going to be remade perfectly. We are just the first fruits. Goodness is coming for eternity. The God who gives good gifts has saved you as a gift for himself, for his glory. As a, You are that guarantee that you are just the beginning, that the rest of creation will be remade as well. We are the beneficiaries of God's present goodness. And we have the guarantee of his future goodness. Our new birth is just the first apple of the eternal harvest of goodness that follows. We're just the first bite and everything that's coming for eternity is good. And that is the certainty of God's goodness we have to look forward to forever so we can endure trials now. It's just a little bit longer, saints. I don't mean it's just a little bit longer of whatever shelter at home we're still doing. It's just a little bit longer, not just for a vaccine, just a little bit longer until God makes all things new. Saints, God did not give birth to you through his word at the cost of his son's blood to do harm to you. God has ordained the gospel be preached to you. He has quickened you. He's given you new birth through the Spirit. He has granted repentance to you so that he might do eternal good to you, bringing you ultimately into an eternity which perfectly reflects his own goodness with no variation or shadow of turning and our hearts groan with the rest of creation. It's coming, so endure, saints. That's what James has been talking about the whole time. They were, these first century Christians are going through hard times, persecution and suffering. Endure, God's goodness is coming. The trial you're going through now is from God's goodness as certainly as your new birth is from God's goodness. Is your new birth from God's goodness? The trial you're going through now is from God's goodness. He didn't give birth to you to abandon you. 
He didn't save you to torture you. God's goodness for you is as certain as the new life he gave you is eternal. See, God is not on the other side of a camera watching your life, waiting to crush you if you eat the marshmallow, if, 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 if you don't stand up to the test. In fact, I think if we were to play the analogy out, he's got billions of future marshmallows. Our good God is testing you now with trials. He's cultivating endurance in you. He's maturing you through trials. He's waiting to reward you, and he's demonstrating his goodness toward you. If we're going to endure through trials this day, this next week, this next month, we don't know what God has for us. We have to be confident of God's goodness to us. Don't be deceived, beloved brothers and sisters. You whom God has brought forth to newness of life, the Father of light's power is unlimited. His goodness is never eclipsed by fickleness. He's never shadowed by maliciousness. All he has done is good. All he will do is good. All he is doing right now in your life is unquestionably good. God's goodness to you will outlast the sun. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving your word and this testimony to yourself as through your Holy Spirit you had James write that we would caution ourselves, that we would remember your goodness, Lord. And if we look at the context of James, Lord, that goodness has to include not just apples, but apples with worms, the trials that we face, the testing that you have ordained. Not that you call evil good, not that you, you rejoice in our suffering, but that your testing is good and that you are good, that you are truly good and your, your, your strength, your, your goodness is strong and it's certain and it's constant. I thank you so much, Father, for your goodness to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in this upcoming week to apply this truth from James 1, 16 to 18 to the trials that we face. Maybe right now, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Lord, and as we face trials, may we be quick to look to your character and quick to proclaim your goodness to those who are watching us suffer. Lord, we thank you, Father, that as we go through trials, and I think that most of us testify to this, the further we get from the trials we go through, we see your goodness in them. I thank you, Father, that for eternity we are going to know your goodness in testing us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be together. Amen.